Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We are back with the Women's Football Podcast and my guests today are Manchester United Women's Supporters Club founder Natalie Burrell. Nat, how are things? Yeah, doing good. Uh, I'm excited for the podcast today. Yeah, I could. I bet you are, definitely. And another person that should be pretty excited for this podcast is, of course, our own Lewis Ambrose. He's back. How is life, Lewis? It's all right. It's been worse. It's been worse. Definitely well, that's, been worse. that's good then. That's good. We're, we're on a positive already. Um, right, let's kick things off with the Women's Super League as it got off to a great start. And it was a great start for me in that um, as Manchester United got a victory over Reading. Now, what did you make of the team's first official outing since Casey Stoney's departure, even though she was actually there, which I thought was a bit, maybe a bit awkward. But yeah, what did you make of it all? Yeah, I thought it was good. Good attacking play. A lot of possession, the way that Tooney hit the ball to Hansen and the way that Hansen scored a goal outside of the foot. Then obviously um on a bache, her screamer rocket uh goal of the season already I'm hearing people say. So it's just sort of those good vibes that everyone's been waiting for, you know, fans back in the stadium singing, uh getting behind the team, getting behind a new manager. It just feels like the end of the season it was really like sad and depressing a bit and now this is just like we started again fresh start we're gonna go for it you know we know our targets we know what's gonna happen and I'm, I'm really confident going into this season I'm glad you're confident because I know I, I can be a little bit more pessimistic but I'm I'm just hoping that this continues we've got off to a good start and I just want it you know to carry on um but, of course, one of the talking points was Brooke Chaplin's almost goal for Reading, which hit the crossbar. It seemed to kind of bounce over the line. Lewis, do you reckon it was a goal or not? Maybe just. Mm. It, was, it was just so close. It's so close. These things happen so quickly as well. It was so close. And without the technology, you can't ever be sure. And you definitely can't, I mean, criticise the officials. When you're watching replays, like slow motion, and you're still not... A hundred percent certain, then yeah, you mean you can't have a massive go. And I don't know about about the two of you, but I feel like it's for some reason it feels like a bit less of a crime to wrongly not give a goal than to wrongly give a goal. If that makes sense, yeah, I know what you mean. And if it was given and it and it then it you know it definitely wasn't in, that would somehow feel a little bit worse. So yeah, I, I sympathise with any anyone any official that finds himself having to make a decision like that when we're looking at replays and you're still not 100% sure one way or the other. Yeah, it really is tough. I don't envy them. Um, look, looking at the game for Man United now, what did you make of the new signings? Yeah, uh, they all look really good. Hannah Blundell looked amazing bombing down that wing. Um, I think Ethan Mannion, calm, composed, collective. Um, uh, even people like Staniforth, Battle, I know like Battle, uh, Bakke Battle. Sorry, I say her name right or wrong, but I know she had a like was our player of the season. But even like you know, she looked different, looked better, more attacking. And Staniforth, not a new player, but she's the first time in front of fans properly, and it just looked like everyone was was different, was more energized. But yeah, the new signings, they look class. Even um, Martha Thomas when she came on, I think she added a bit, bit 
different kind of vibe, um, you know, because obviously Ella Toon was a false nine, so when she came on, it was that more target player, and I think she did well. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, of course, um, Honor Battier-Struck, you know, a great long-range effort, as you mentioned, Nat. Um, Lewis, I mean, I know Alejandro has been singing her praises on the podcast, but, Lewis, do you think that she's going to be, you know, perhaps one of those key players for Man United this season? Yeah, and I think as Nat just said, player of the season last season. Um, I mean, I'm not expecting too many goals or and definitely not maybe goals that look quite as spectacular as that one from the from Friday night. But I think she'll be she'll be crucial. She's so important getting United up the field, you know, adding some sort of impetus to the play and carrying the ball, but also defensively, so going both ways that's so important and it's so important for the top teams in, in in any level of football but especially in the WSL where the top teams so often games can turn into a bit attack versus defense and you're trying to break teams down and to have defenders and, and fullbacks who can get forward and support the attacking efforts as well and add something a little bit extra at that end of the pitch is really really important yeah definitely and uh yeah for me it just can breathe a sigh of relief that we got the win, good performance, um, and hopefully, you know, Man United can build on that. Um, one team that definitely needs to build on something is Everton. Uh, they suffered a 4-0 defeat to Manchester City on Saturday. Now, going into the game, were you expecting perhaps a little bit more from Everton, considering how highly people have spoken about them and looking at what, you know, what a good transfer window that they had? Yeah, um, definitely. I think they'll be disappointed. I know I heard a lot of pundits saying they were disappointed because, yeah, a lot of people have backed them as breaking into the top four. Or I know Willie Kirk did an interview saying we're looking at winning the league. Well, if you're getting beat 4-0, you're not going to win any league. And I think it doesn't matter how many players you buy. Uh, you know, I think the difference probably between Man United and Everton is that a lot of our players are there already. And we're just building on like sort of foundations, stable foundations where they've brought a lot of left and a lot of come in and it sometimes doesn't always work. And I think we saw on uh, Saturday it didn't work for them, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it was a shame because I, I was definitely expecting a bit more um, as, as looking at it as a neutral, of course. Um, Louis, do you think that, you know, this situation, you know, like Nat touched on, they, they've brought in, you know, a lot of good players. But do you think that maybe once this team has had time to gel, you know, get a little bit more acquainted, we will see a stronger Everton moving forward? Because, you know, it's it's a long season, isn't it? It is a long season. And I do think we'll see a better Everton going forward. And, and you know, it takes time for players to gel and to settle and get used to each other and that sort of thing. But... I do also think those calls for them, I mean, winning the league is an, another step completely. Even those calls to join the top the top four or break into the top three in the Champions League places, especially this season, I think it's just too soon. I think that gap yeah. is such a big gap to those teams at the top of the league that, you know, it's nice. It's really great to see teams having that ambition and having the funding as well to, to make a move like that and want to be able to break into those positions in the league but I just think the gap is way too big for Everton to just turn around and do it all over the, the course of one summer I mean they were definitely the best team and the best placed team to challenge those those four teams that finished above them last season they were definitely the fifth best team in the league last season but that gap is just huge and to sort of overnight and with a few transfers 
hope that that can just suddenly be the catalyst and it happens straight away, I think is a step too far or, or a bit too much to ask and maybe a bit over ambitious. Yeah, I, I would probably agree. I think, like you say, great to see them, um, you know, trying to make that step up. And I'm sure in time we will see them being a little bit more competitive but in the league. But yeah, I think I think for now, just um, without sounding disrespectful, but for them to, you know, just kind of stay in their lane and just focus on, um, you know, in, improving even a, even a little bit, you know, it's baby steps maybe perhaps. Um you know, meanwhile, looking at Manchester City, Nat, uh, they did have a great game. Um, difficult question for you, but who was their standout player in your opinion? Um, I think you gotta Becky. pick one. I'm sorry. Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I think Becky for me. I think that call that she scored, the way she just sort of ran with it, ran at their defence. She was causing Everton problem all the way through. Gold medalist, full of confidence. Come back, bang! What a wonder goal. Um, I mean, I picked two. I do. I've always rated Bunny Shaw. Uh, I think a lot of people, maybe in the uh, English league, haven't heard of her, haven't seen mm. her before. You know, and I think she's going to be one to watch uh, this season. But yeah, if I had to just pick one, which is is more like me, uh, it'll be Becky. She had a really good game. Yeah, I, I would agree, and I, I was really glad to see um, Shaw. You know, get get involved and get on the score sheet. Um, you know, for Manchester City after that performance against Real Madrid in that Champions League qualifier, unfortunately, as we are recording um, the game, the second leg hasn't kicked off. Um, but yeah, the, the first leg anyway, you know, wasn't their best. There has been talk, we discussed it on the podcast last week about maybe, you know, there are rumours that they've not had the best pre-season, etc. They were missing a few players. Lewis, do you think all of that considered this was, you know, maybe a statement from the team to prove that they are well and truly up for the challenge of keeping up with, you know, the likes of Chelsea, even Arsenal as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, that Real Madrid draw will be a bit of a, or would have been a bit of a disappointment, but they're still, you know, they're missing players, they're players that were on the bench the other at the weekend, or, or Lucy Bronze not even involved at all, Chloe Kelly and, and Kira Walsh are out, so... I think you know it's what we said with Everton as well. It takes time for new players. Bunny Shaw obviously came in and and will be a massive relief or, or weight off her shoulders as a striker to score so early in her City career. And the same for Vicky Lasada in midfield as well after coming back to the WSL. So it can take a bit of time for for players to to integrate or to get used to the way of playing and their new teammates. And you know Lasada Shaw. Hayley Raiso, I thought, was quite impressive on her debut as well. It's a matter of time until these sort of click, players of that level click, and, and there's also enough of the players that were there last season still and you know, not struggling with injury that City will be absolutely fine and they'll be right up there again this season. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm I'm not too concerned about them. Um, now, Lewis, we have got to talk about the blockbuster game of the weekend in England. It was Arsenal against Chelsea at the Emirates in front of over 8,000 fans. I mean, Arsenal could not have put on a better show with that 3-2 win, right? <laughs> it's, it's a good way to start the season, um, obviously. Good for the Emirates to get a few goals, eh? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. Um, yeah, something to cheer for everyone that, that managed to get to the game. And uh, yeah, I mean... Fantastic for the players to to play at the Emirates too. It's long, long overdue for Arsenal, I think, compared to some of the WSL teams who have obviously played over the last few years at the the big stadiums. 
Arsenal haven't had the chance to do that and they've put a lot of investment into improving the facilities at Boreham Wood but it's obviously still not the same as, as being able to play in, in that massive stadium and in front of as many as 8,000, nearly 9,000 fans and to you know, cap it all off by beating Chelsea for the first time for a few years as well I think it was a the main reason that Arsenal have finished third the last two seasons were the results against Chelsea and against Manchester City and against Manchester United at times as well. So to turn up and the, the first game under a new coach, turn around and be able to beat Chelsea, a Chelsea team that obviously haven't had the benefit maybe of, of having the warm-up games Arsenal have had in the Champions League qualifiers, being a little bit more ready for the season to start and hit the ground running. Those top three games still are going to be massive um, top three or top four if you include United as well and those head-to-head games are generally the ones that decide where the title goes so to get that sort of monkey off their back of not being able to beat Chelsea for a few years straight away and the first game under Jonas Eideval as well is obviously absolutely massive yeah, it was uh, it was great to see them to see them get that win. I think everybody, you know, kind of automatically just thinks, oh, Chelsea will just get the job done. So to see Arsenal uh, shake things up a bit in that sense was, was good. Now, of course, uh, Beth Mead was 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 great. Um, her winning goal, Nat, was it offside? And where do you stand? Um, or you know, what's your thoughts on all of the discussion that's going on about VAR, goal line technology, etc. Yeah, it was clearly offside. She was like a full stride, full foot, yeah. you know, offside. It was. It's a shame, really, that the referee couldn't see it because it's not like you know the referee was behind play, was looking right at it, and she couldn't see it. And I just, for me, I do want VAR goal line. Everyone wants it, you know. It, it does bear, but if a referee can't see when she's looking right at it, there's no point, you know, slowing it down. VAR is not going to help. So I think what the women's game needs to do um, is get fully professional referees first, then you look at a goal line technology, then you look at VAR. I don't think it's going to happen, you know, next year we're going to have VAR and everyone's going to be professional. No, it's going to take time. Um, I think like the referees need to get up to standard, have a, have a couple of years, maybe even just being professional, then introduce all this kind of VAR. Because I think even if you look in the Premier League, VAR got it wrong a couple of times there, so it doesn't always... Uh, get decisions right or everything's going to be right it causes more problems than good sometimes but I think goal line you can easily do that you know you risk just buzzes but for me I think if we're gonna if we've got money for goal line we should have money to make the refs professional first yeah I agree it's something that we've spoken about before on, on previous episodes about the referees um and the changes that need to be made. And and unfortunately, the only thing I guess you can hope is that when situations do happen like this, you know, maybe it will, you know, give certain people, the powers that be, a, a kick to maybe sit up and and recognise what needs to be done. Who knows? Um, but yeah, um, you know, speaking about uh, Beth Mead, um, England's new manager, Serena Wagner, was in the stands. She saw the performance. I mean, she must have been impressed. Mead has been named in her first England squad. Louise, what did you make of the performance? She was great, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. I mean, I thought Arsenal pretty much everybody played well, but obviously yeah. Beth Mead broke through a couple of times in that second half. She was offside, as, as you mentioned, for the second goal, but she took the first goal incredibly well. And it's a great ball from, from Miedemar. And I don't know, one of those moments when you think the chances maybe disappeared and then she pulled out an 
outrageous finish, unstoppable. And the second one, she was just so calm when she got into the position to, to round the keeper and put it in. So I think, obviously, Serena v- uh, Weigelman was impressed and liked what she saw. I don't know how much we'll see from Beth Mead as well this season. So, obviously, Arsenal have signed Tobin Heath. Caitlin Ford was out for this game. So, under a new coach and in front of the England manager for the first time as well, was one very big message, I guess, to, to both her managers that she's still there and she should, she's still going to fight for her place no matter how many players can come in and compete for that position. And Arsenal, now with, with Heath joining, obviously Mana Iwabuchi joined this summer as well. There's so many players that can play in those positions and it was very timely, I think, for Beth Mead to remind everybody what she's capable of too. Yeah, I agree. I think it was it was brilliant timing for her to have such a good performance, and um, you know, props to the manager um, to Jonas Eideval uh, as this game. You know, it's like being thrown in at the deep end, really. Um, you know, he was on his feet throughout. He fielded, you know, a very hard working, organised team. Um, and in my opinion, you know, it was a real statement to show that this team is more than ready to compete for the title. Um, Nat, did it feel like a statement for you? And also, how are you feeling about this Tobin Heath situation? Are you okay, number one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no. not okay. <laughs> um, I've heard Champions League was a deal breaker. That's why I would say she went to Arsenal. Yeah. But I'm not okay now. I think, I understand, like, you know, she wants to play Champions League, but go and play in, in Lyon or Paris. Or yeah, why did you have to Barca, stay in the Women's Super League? She's an Arsenal fan. I don't care, I don't care. No, but it was a statement, it was a statement, that's what I will say. I mean, for me, I think a lot of people expected Chelsea just come out, win like they have been doing, and I think uh, Jonas even sort of said, you know, the way they played in the Champions League final, you know, the way Chelsea got beat, and he sort of used the same blueprint as that, and I think, potentially, I don't know, I don't want to say and get, get shut down, but this could be the end of Chelsea's reign, you know, it could be someone else. You know, City and Arsenal have made a statement. Man United might not have made as big a statement, but, you know, we could knock Chelsea out of the top three. Who knows? And, you know, I, I do think Tobin going there has sort of made them favourites for the league, in my opinion. Well, there you go. I can I can sense by your voice that you are not at all happy, even if she is an Arsenal fan. How dare she make that move? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lewis, looking at Chelsea, was it just simply not their day? I mean, 15 shots, four on target. It, it, they just had a little bit of a mare at times, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't play well. They never got to grips, you know, defensively with, with the movement of, of Miedema dropping off and, and finding Mead especially running in behind and Katie McCabe on the left as well, linking up with, with Iwabuchi. Chelsea were just... I don't know. I think I've put it down mostly to just, as I say, Arsenal come into this game having played a few games already in the Champions League qualifiers. I thought Chelsea were maybe just caught a bit cold and it was just not an ideal time for them to be playing such a massive game. Um, obviously, you know, on the bench, even Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby to start the game. They just weren't quite ready, maybe, to, to play such a massive game and Arsenal came into it already with a little bit more rhythm. Chelsea will still, all of that quality won't be kept down for long and they obviously fought back as well to to get back to 3-2 and have a lot of pressure in the final five or ten minutes. So I I don't really worry about them too much. Um, I think they'll be fine. 
But I think, yeah, it, it's just one of those days, really, the fine margins and, you know, something like not getting that offside call for the goal some so often is what decides these massive games. And that's all it came down to. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I like, I, I think that it's just going to be a very exciting season, very competitive. Um, and I'm interested to see how Chelsea kind of handle the pressure of, you know, expectations are going to be high for the Champions League. Expectations will also be high for the league. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they balance it because, you know, as we've seen with many teams over the years, you know, it's it's not always easy. You know, not every team is a Leon, um, unfortunately. Um, but Nat, for Chelsea, do you think that this may be kind of brought them back a little bit to reality, touching on some of those things that I've just mentioned, that this won't be as straightforward as maybe some people expected. Um, and also, do you think that they'll they'll bounce back from this defeat? Okay. Yeah, I think they'll bounce back. I think, I mean, no disrespect, they're playing Everton. And I know we just sort of touched on how they got pretty much, you know, beat quite heavily by City. So I think uh, Chelsea will be looking maybe to put a marker down that Emma way Hayes as well. Emma will be plotting. She'll be like, I want yeah. an 8-0 victory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I think it has brought them back down to reality. I think there's a lot of talk. We're going to win a treble. We're going to do this. We're the greatest team in the world. And, you know, they've they've lost now two in a row, really. And talking about competitive games, the Champions League final, all this. And, you know, people will be looking, oh, this is how you beat Chelsea. You know, there's talk that they should have signed full back. They let us sign Hannah Blundell. And, you know, I saw a lot of people moaning about that. Mm. And... I'm not saying she would have been the answer and they would have won, but, you know, the, there's there's a lot of talk around uh, getting them and running at the full-backs. So, who knows? Like you said, she'll be plotting, but it's uh, going to be a tough one this season. I don't think it's going to be easy for anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we touched previously about, um, you know, talking about the England team that has been named by uh, Vagvin. 16 members of the British Tokyo Olympics team are included. Um, you know, Manchester City trio, Lucy Bronze, uh, Kira Walsh, Ellie Roebuck all miss out through injury. Meanwhile, uncapped pair, Esme Morgan and Katie Zelum, Zelum, apologies on that one, um, are also included. Um, uh, uh, same question to both of you. Start with you, Lewis. Um, you know, w- what do you think of a squad? You know, are you excited to see what she does with this team? You know, looking at her track record and are there any players that you're maybe excited to see in particular or any names you're maybe disappointed didn't make the cut or anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I think anytime there's a new manager, it's always interesting to see, you know, who they might favour, which players maybe haven't had chances before and are going to get chances now. We saw, we're we going to see that with, um, well, we're going to see anyway, uh, Leah Williamson in the team and possibly in midfield. As an Arsenal fan, I'm quite interested to see what she does with her. And Ebony Salmon as well, now that she's moved across to the US, it'll be nice to see her development and, and see her play for the England team. And I think Emma Hayes pointed out too that Frank Kirby, we've never really had the best of Frank Kirby in an England shirt. Yeah. And now could be the perfect time after the way she performed last season for Chelsea. And with yeah, Serena Hoogman coming in, I hope that we, we see sort of that, the best of Frank Kirby in an England shirt. That would be really, really exciting. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Nat? Yeah, I'm excited to see Ebony Salmon. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see a lot of those uh, United girls called back up. Uh, I mean, I expected Ella Toon, but to see Zellum, Staniforth, Mary Earps back in, it's really good as a United fan. 
Um, but obviously, you know, Ebony, I'm, I'm someone who I've watched for quite a while, and now obviously, like uh, Lewis said, she's out in America, she's scoring goals, so it's good that, you know, her hard work is being recognised. Uh, but I was disappointed that Hannah Hampton didn't make the cut. I think she started the season really well. I think she made a good move to Villa. Uh, she did. She was unlucky with uh, the Leicester goal that she did concede, but other than that, I think she's a quality player, and I think she will be very, very disappointed she didn't make the Team GB, and now she's not made this first... Uh, call up should we thinking what do I need to do yeah I mean hopefully this will uh I don't know maybe maybe you know rather than being disappointed maybe it will you know inspire to you know just carry on working hard and and hopefully you know that will come but yes very excited to see uh what this England team um are made of I think you know the were criticisms over the last manager um some of which I I can completely understand um talking about Phil Neville obviously um but um so yeah I'm, I'm excited to see again no disrespect but a, a more competent person at the helm shall we say um now we'll head over to Spain now I wish I was but I'm not um <laughs> but you know next up um you know it was the first weekend of the Spanish league Barcelona did what Barcelona do best. They got off to a great start with a 5-0 win over um, Granadilla Tenerife. Luis, did it feel like, you know, just another day at the office watching Barcelona? Nothing nothing really too special about it. Another 5-0, great. Yeah, I guess you you don't ask if Barcelona are going to win. You just sort of wonder how many they're going to win yeah. by. And that's pretty much it. And uh, unlike, um, unlike Chelsea, obviously, who had a great season last season, had an immediate setback this season. It looks like Barcelona have just continued where they left off. So, yeah, I'd expect more of the same, I guess. Definitely. Now, can you believe it, everybody? You know, it took them just over half an hour to score their first goal. Absolutely shambolic from Barcelona. Um, uh, but, you know, four minutes later, a second came, uh, both from Bruna Villamala. Now, she only became part of the first team squad in the summer of 2020. Nat, do you think the fact that she's, you know, in this team of such talented players at just 19 years of age is a testament to her own talent and, you know, how much Barcelona, as we all know, you know, do believe in their youth, um, but, you know, how much they believe in her? Yeah, definitely. And I think she was, even before that, like she was trying to build up play, creating, you know, laying balls off. Uh, you know, they were unlucky to score. That, that'll be their setback, isn't it? The fact that it took so long. It took no, so she, long. Yeah, they'll be livid. <laughs> when she did score, you know, she looked like just slotted in, like just like it was nothing. Um, and yeah, that's she's going to be different classes, isn't it? She's just she's young and she's going to do so much, and she's playing already in a world class team. Um, so just think of all the things she can learn and how she can d- develop in the future. Yes, very exciting to see. Um, and also, um, you know, a, a great announcement that I I read about how um at the, the, the youth system at Barcelona, um, you know, the the male players that obviously stay kind of on campus at La Masia, that now um female players will be allowed to as well, um, unless I dreamt that, which I don't think I did. Um <laughs> And, you know, that that's a great move from Barcelona, you know, in acknowledging, you know, their young female talent as well, um, that they will be able to, you know, have access to the same things and everything. And it's it's great to see. Obviously, you know, despite having the lead, as we say, this team continue to look for more goals. 
They found another three in the second half. One of the goal scorers was Alexia Puteas. She won the UEFA Women's Player of the Year award. Luis, could she be a contender for the Ballon d'Or Feminine? Yeah, contender or even a, a front runner now. Yeah. I would say. I think having won the that UEFA award, she obviously goals, assists, brings everything. She's so creative. She's so great to watch. And you watch Barcelona, and it takes a lot for a player to stand out. Um, you know, and you saw it in the Champions League last season. I also would say that there was no real standout player massively from the Olympics. Mm. Um, to maybe, you know, make their claim to, to win that. So, yeah, I would say she's right up there now. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, me personally, I think she's such a great player. It would be great to see her win it. Um, and it, it will be interesting who's actually in the mix for that award. Um, their rivals, Atletico Madrid, also got off to a good start against Rayo Vallecano with a 5-0 win for them. Um, we spoke on the podcast last week, Alejandro was talking about, you know, Vallecano and some of the concerns over them this season. However, for Atletico after, you know, what you could say was maybe a stressful time last season. Now, it was good to, you know, see them get off to a good start and get that win, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that's what they would have wanted, laying a marker down. I think they had a really good transfer window as well, Atletico Madrid, and, you know, a lot of their players uh, getting on the score sheet, um, a nice win. That's what they need. That's just need to kick on now, and I'm sure they'll be aiming for top three Champions League again this season. Yeah, now, of, of course, they do face Real Madrid going into the second weekend of the season. Not going into that game, you know, this is going to be a, a massive boost for them, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, Real Madrid are playing a lot of games, like you, like you said earlier, you know, they're going to have to play Man City. They played Man City before. They've just been beat by Levante. I know we're going to go on to that, but, you know, they'll be in the, the, the high spirits Atletico and then obviously Real won't be uh, probably on a on a good good patch going into it. But a derby's a derby, so it doesn't matter who's on form. You know, it just is going to be a massive game for both teams. It will. Um, and as, you know... Anything can happen in these derbies, as we've seen before. Um, you know, as we just touched on, uh, Real Madrid had a bit of a nightmare. I'm sure Alejandro is screaming into a pillow somewhere. Um, you know, their first match against Levante, they, of course, lost 4-0. What went wrong here, Lewis? I just, whenever you see a team that's sort of surprising, firstly, credit to Levante, who finished third last season and yeah. a really good side themselves. But I think whenever you see a team with a result like this after a big midweek game, it's really hard not to imagine that that had some sort of impact and that, yeah, maybe it was just a bit of a, a hangover from, from such an intense game playing against, you know, as, as the underdogs against Manchester City and coming away with a really, really good result last weekend. It's not like Madrid are suddenly a bad team overnight or anything it's an awful way to start a season when you want to establish yourself. And, you know, they obviously finished second last year with a, a massive gap to Barcelona. But those positions for the Champions League are between them and Levante and Atletico are so competitive. And, and similar to Chelsea again, to come into the season and have to play one of those games straight away is not ideal. Um, and a massive, massive setback to suffer really early on. It puts that game against Atletico next week, more than just a derby, but there's a lot riding on it too, you know, to start the season with two defeats against your two closest direct competitive rivals would be a bit of a disaster. Yeah, definitely not what they need if that happens. Um, 
there have been some concerns over Levante and, you know, maybe how they will fare. Um, like Arsenal, Nat, do you think that this win, you know, was a, was a statement from this team? Yeah, definitely, because I think they lost their manager uh, for whatever reason, sort of new managers come in and, you know, a lot of people probably didn't expect them to get that third Champions League spot. But for me, um, they look good. They look really on it, up for it against... Uh, Real Madrid and yeah, Real Madrid did have a game midweek, but you know, so did Levante. They were playing Leon. It wasn't easy for them either. Uh, but you know, they only lost by one goal, and I'm sure they'll be going to 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 Leon and looking to maybe get a few goals there as well. Um, but you know, I think when a team is sort of written off and people are sort of maybe expecting Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, Levante, like you say, laid the marker down and saying, listen, we're not going to get rolled over easily we we want to get in Champions League again and again and you know credit to them there's players that have been there a long time players that have left too but players that have been there a long time that that'll be fighting till the end and won't won't give up Champions League football for next year up easily they'll be fighting for it till the end like like last season yeah and that's you know that's all you know what more can you ask for from your team you know to come out um, obviously, you know, we're recording before the Leon game, um, but, you know, to, to have come out in that, you know, a big game against Real Madrid and to, to get that and to show that they really are fighting for this, um, I think it's great to see. Looking at Real Madrid, Luis, do you think that, are you confident that this side is one that can pick themselves up from these types of losses? I guess we'll have to wait and see, but do you worry maybe about the inexperience of this team as a whole, you know, a few new faces have come in. This is only their, you know, second season as as Real Madrid, etc. Is there any maybe like a few concerns? I think the the concern would for me like would be expectations and mm. not the quality of the team and not if they can respond. Um, but what is expected? Obviously, Real Madrid as a football club are expected to win every single game. Um, to have their first season as Real Madrid last season and to finish second was already an enormous achievement and and to be you know in the Champions League qualifiers and really competing with Manchester City already is already a massive achievement and as long as they sort of look to to just build on that and not panic or be worried or put an extra pressure on themselves to close the gap to Barcelona which is you know basically impossible yeah I think Real Madrid just need to focus on themselves and realise that this process is is exactly that. It's a process and it's not something that can be rushed and and done from one week to the next. I agree. Um, I think, yeah, they've just got to focus on themselves and, you know, what what will be will be. Um, And I think, you know, just take it game by game and and try and get those good performances in. And I guess we'll see what happens after... um, after the Champions League qualifiers. Meanwhile, in the other leagues, there were some big wins for Paris and Lyon, similar to Barcelona, just kind of business as usual, those two fighting out at the top. Lyon's 6-0 win last week, Paris getting a 5-0 win the week before. Nat, can you realistically see anybody actually challenging these two teams? No, I'm sorry, I can't. I just think it's going to be a fight between them two and then... Whoever wins the games between them both will end up winning the league, and that's sort of how it went uh, last year. Obviously, mm. Paris got the one over on Leon, and they ended up winning the league. I just can't see them losing to any other team. Um, I mean, watch next week; someone will beat Paris or someone will beat <laughs> Leon. But no, I just can't see it. Um, 
it's dominance in, in French football for these two teams for me. Yeah, I mean, both teams have so many different players on the score sheet, both very talented. Lewis, uh, nice and easy question here. Um, if you had to pick the best team out of the two, who would you go with? I think I'd still, just based on last season, the proximity of last season, still I'd have to go for PSG, who, who obviously did win the league and really impressive in the Champions League as well last season. I think I would just just about go for them. Mm. Leon have had quite an interesting transfer window in response. You know, they've obviously signed Daniela van der Dong from Arsenal, but they've also picked up a few of PSG's regulars and, and Christiana Endler's the big one in goal. Whether or not that closes the gap between the two, and, and you know, a gap if that gap even really existed and it was you know just small between the two of them, I don't know. Um, but yeah, maybe it's a bit of a cop-out, but just based on the fact that PSG won the title last season and and we're only, you know, this season's just kicked off, then I would still say they're the team to beat if you had to pick one of them. Yeah, and I think um, it's it's been interesting to see how how seriously Leon have clearly taken, um, you know, the fact that they they didn't uh, win the league or the Champions League, the signings that they've made. But um, I, I would probably agree. Um but it's it's definitely going to be interesting, um, and I think it's going to be interesting over the next you know couple of years really to see if any teams can you know begin to maybe bridge that gap. And uh, meanwhile, over in Germany, uh, there's there's another gap to be bridged at times. Um, it was the second match day of the season. Um, Bayern Munich, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Eintracht Frankfurt all now have two wins from two. Last season, similar you know to in France, there were only you know, kind of two points between Bayern and Wolfsburg um, and quite a gap with the rest of the table. Now, a similar question, you know, to before, do you see this gap closing at all this season? I think it's going to be those two again. Yeah. I think it would probably be a bit tighter, you know, other teams have invested, but I can just see it being those two again. And to be honest, I can see potentially Wolfsburg uh, getting their title back this time around. They look really good, so... Uh, I don't know. Uh, Bayern, I'm sure Bayern fans will have a, a be, be agreed by that and will tell me no, I'm wrong. But, you know, I can see Wolfsburg potentially winning the, the German League this year round. Yeah, I mean, talking about Wolfsburg, Luis, what did you make of uh, Jill Rhodes move to them? I think it's a good signing simply because, you know, if you when you compare them directly to Bayern, they probably just less often blew teams away last season. And... Obviously, to be able to do that, you need players, multiple players in, in different positions, adding goals and adding not just chipping in here or there, but adding, you know, a goal every couple of games. And, and Jill Rod obviously did that with Arsenal and is capable of doing that. So I thought it was a good signing. I thought it was a really interesting signing for them. I don't I don't know if I agree with Nat and if they'll if it'll be enough to to close that gap. Mm. Um, they've you know they've still got a few serious injuries with with Alexandra Pop, Pauline Prima, the obvious ones. So whether or not it'll be enough to make up the difference to Bayern, I don't know. I think Bayern now are also obviously or more obviously sort of the team to beat in Germany. I think that that power shift that. Mantle has clearly gone to them from Wolfsburg, and maybe that, like the lack of pressure or, or the the reduction of pressure on Wolfsburg, maybe they find some sort of solace in that, and there's a little bit more space to 
prove people wrong in a way and and be the ones that can respond in, for once instead of just being the team that everybody's chasing. Yeah, definitely. I, I get where you're coming from. I mean, looking at you know some of the players in this league, um, Nicola Bieler, Leah Shuler, Clara Bull, Eva Peugeot, etc., there are some great goal scorers in this league. Nat, who have you got your eye on? Who were you expecting to make the biggest impact? Um, well, I've, I saw a bit of Wolfsburg's first game, and I think it was Bajor got got two goals and got a rocket. So I'm expecting her, but I think also Leah Schola, uh I know she's a really top goal scorer. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a bigger fight, just as big a fight for the the Golden Boot as it is. Um, for, for the title, so it would be really interesting to see how many goals they do get. I mean, I think we've seen across Europe, like, goals are going up, goal scorers are scoring even more goals, so it's going to be really interesting to see that kind of fight for, for golden boot. Yeah, I think one thing's for certain, uh, you know, looking across Europe, there are going to be some absolutely amazing goals based on last season and even based on, you know, the last week or two. And uh, Finally, you know, we'll head over to Italy. We've already had two match days with some great results. Now, Talking about Inter Milan, last season we spoke about them quite a few times about how we maybe wanted to see them improve and move higher up that table from being, you know, kind of like stagnant in the middle. You know, the first two games are, of course, not concrete proof of how the season will go, let's face it, as they, you know, the games were against Napoli and Lazio. But, Louis, do you think that that's at least a little bit encouraging um, that maybe there is a chance that we will finally see this Inter Milan team, you know, improving a bit more? Yeah, and you know we we talk so often about teams investing properly, and Inter have as a club. You know, you see on the men's side, the players have sold this summer because they've got mm. big financial issues. But the women's team, they have actually managed to sign a lot of players. So I think that's promising, and that's a good sign. Um, you know, and we we need it you know, as football fans. We need it for not just for each team to be strong, but also the competitiveness of the the league and. I mean, you look at the way that Milan and, and Juventus in particular sort of ran away with things last season. It, we look at, you. we talked about PSG and Lyon and how the, it's going to be a matter of seeing who wins those head-to-head games and, and it will probably be the same again in, in a lot of countries. But the way to introduce more and more competitiveness is that more teams are, are investing properly and, you know, it's not just Milan need to beat Juventus twice to have a chance of winning the league, but other teams can are capable of taking points off of those two as well. That's what's going to make it more interesting. That's what's going to grow the game the most and, and stop, you know, the top two or three or four teams in each country having all of the or most of the talent in the league. So I think I think just the fact they've made that number of signings this summer is really encouraging. And I hope that it's a sign of things to come, not not just for Inter, but for, you know, women's football in Italy on the whole. 100% to see that, you know, an, another team in the mix would be great. Um, talking about Juventus, of course, um, Barbara Bonanzea was involved in two goals in their 3-0 win over Fiorentina. Um, she, of course, committed to the club until 2022 with the help of her agent, Mina Raiola. Um, Nat, do you think that maybe, you know, because we, we've seen how good Juve are, you know, in the league, but do you think that perhaps success in Europe could be make or break regarding her future? Or do you feel like because she signed this extension until 2022, after that, she will probably be departing anyway? I think with Mino as her agent, um, I think if she doesn't 
see some yeah improvement in in Europe then yeah she probably will go I'm sure like they obviously gave the one year deal and um they may already have plans I mean she was already linked to a lot of teams before she even signed that you know talk of Leon and this and Barcelona and I don't know where that those teams will go for it but you know coming to England or uh going to another team in Spain I don't know you know Real Madrid something like that uh big name signing um, so yeah, I think it will rely on what she does in Europe because if if they have a smash in Europe, get to the quarters or semis or something, then I think she will extend uh, at Juve. I don't think she would want to leave. But if it's sort of knocked out very early, then yeah, the 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 wheels will, will probably be in motion with uh, Mina. <laughs> Yes, of course, you know, the, the devil works hard, but Mino Ayola works <laughs> twice as hard. Um, now, Juventus over the transfer window, you know, there were a lot of comings and goings. They said farewell to quite a few players, but, you know, the majority were on loan, so it's not really a, a full farewell. But, of course, they have their new manager in Joe Montemoro. Lewis, are you confident in him at Juventus? Yeah, I think in the league, I think they'll, they'll have no problems mm. with, with Joe in charge there's no there's also no language barrier so that transitions easy he's, he's Australian Italian and, and already speaks Italian so he's already doing his first interviews and press conferences and that sort of thing in Italian so not the worry there that you maybe sometimes have when a when a coach goes to a new country I think it was the right time for him to move on from Arsenal um, you know after two third place finishes but He's still the guy that the coach that won Arsenal, led Arsenal to the league a couple of years ago in England. And his idea of football is, you know, to play this attacking football, to dominate possession, to don't try and dominate teams as much as possible and, and play patiently and keep the ball. I think with all of the attacking talent that Juventus have, Bonze, you just mentioned, but also Girelli. We mentioned Staskova on the podcast last year and, and Lena Hurtig as well. They're all going to score. They're all going to score loads of goals. They're, they're going to be able to create chances at will. They're going to score loads of goals this season in the league. And the Champions League is where there are probably more question marks. And you know, I think that was the problem that we that we mentioned from from when we were talking about the WSL that Arsenal had the last couple of seasons. Their results in those big games against teams that play at their level and. You know, I, I know that Joe Montemoro obviously knows that that was a problem he had at Arsenal as well. So I think that's something that going to a new club, he'll hope that he can work at and, and figure out ways to adapt the way he wants his team to play to be able to win those games against teams that they play sort of at their level. And that will be what it comes down to. In the league, I don't see any problems, but the Champions League, when they are getting further into the competition and playing the top sides that's where you know the question marks are and that's where he's going to have to prove a few people wrong probably yeah I think the pressure will definitely uh, be on I agree now looking at um, the Syria um, what am I trying to say the, looking at Syria even um, you know can you realistically are there any teams that you think you're hoping to maybe challenge Juventus a little bit more again mm. realistically can you see anyone actually catching up or is it kind of like Germany and, and France where it might just be the kind of same old rodeo yeah I think it might be the same old rodeo I think it will be tougher though I think even in, in England we're seeing it's, it's a lot tougher um, teams are investing so I do think you know Inter uh, AC again 
uh, we'll be we'll be trying. Um, and you know, I do like Rita in Inter, so I think you know she she was at Juventus day one a lot. So obviously now she's she's going to want to prove herself um, and show that she can do it. So uh, I think it will be tight, but I do think Juve will just run away with it again. Probably, I I would I would agree. It seems like um, yeah, it's like I say, business as usual uh, in the other leagues. Meanwhile, there's uh, quite a bit of upset going on in the women's super league. So a big thank you to you both for joining me to chat about that. And I'm sure as the season goes on, we will catch up more. Hopefully for the two of us, you know, maybe it'll be Arsenal and Man United for that women's super league title. We can only dream. So that is it for today's One Football Women's Football Podcast. As always, a big thank you to my guests, to Lewis and to Nat for joining me and to all of you for listening. As always, if you do want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you head to Spotify, Apple Music, etc. to hear more from One Football.